And uh, good. It's actually afternoon now, even though it feels like morning. Um, you are watching the FPL. Uh, um, <laughs> here we go. Net that hall matchup show for game week 24. Uh, sorry for the confusion. It, it all went wrong when I pressed the wrong button um, in, in the intro and, and the song didn't play. And I was like, what, what happened? And I pressed the overlay instead of the video clip. So already off to a, to a magnificently amateurish start. Um, getting started here. You, I am Gabe. Uh, I'm joined here by uh, Craig, man on pod, uh, underscore Craig. How are you this afternoon now? Yeah, I'm doing good. Amateur hour everywhere here, right? Look at this, look at this cropping on the on the visual on the screen as well. That, that looks a bit amateur as well. Is that a, someone you're trying to cover someone up there, Gabe? It looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Speaking of amateur hour, if, if you are on the on the podcast and you want to see this in the in the in the YouTube, our our graphic, our, our thumb for for the show today is a little amateurishly done. Um, and I mean, I don't know. That's Nima's department. Um, I, I think he he's gonna have to get get on top of his department and track down where this went wrong. But um, but obviously there's a, there's one player that stands out over over all the rest from um, from game week twenty three. And it's the um, it's not the one that's hiding. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to work out that he's behind. That it must be Mo Salah right behind. I think it must be Mo Salah. It's 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 really it's really hard to tell. It, it, I think it's just impossible to tell. It's time to move on. Um, we do we are featuring Mateus Cunha though, um, and and in no small reason um, because he's coming off of a monster haul, of course. But but also uh, He Chan Huang is coming back, and I think things could be changing for him. So. So um, I'm, I'm going to rationalize it that way. We're going to jump right into this two minutes in. Um, thanks for joining us in the chat. We have several friends in there. We're going to give it a few minutes for some more people to join us before we say hello there, Craig. And as people kind of like a mosey their, their way in here, um, I do want to take a moment and uh, give a shout out to Mariner, um, who's, uh, who's, who's dealing with some heavy life things. And I just want to want to shout him out because I want to tell him that it's raining in the desert here today, Mariner. It's raining in the desert. If you know, you know. He will certainly understand what that means. And with that thought, let's get into the philosophy, Craig. It's actually legit raining here as well, where I am in London. So raining for everyone. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> no, no shocker there, right? <laughs> you're, uh, you're shocked to see the sun every once in a while. <laughs> Um, this week's FPL philosophy for game week 24 come to a, comes to us from a, a personal favorite and, and I think a crowd favorite here, um, Lao Tzu. And he says, act without expectation. A very simple philosophy for the week. And uh, what I like about this one is, um, you know, you acting without expectation really puts us in the moment of acting and makes sure that, uh, that we're doing what we're doing for um for the sake of doing it itself like the act of doing something is in itself um you don't have to justify an act or it doesn't have to be worthy because you expect some outcome or because it's going it's attached to some goal or something like that and then if, if it doesn't meet that goal then was that the process of acting and of analyzing then did was that also a failure so like um, so I think like seeing things like without expectation can kind of liberate us from this kind of like 
success failure binary what do you think um i like it in in logical principle but it's, it's just not something i can do i i i would really struggle with this as, as a philosophy because i always put expectation on decisions that i make i think you always make a transfer and think how many points am i going to get over the four or five weeks and you, you maybe I feel like I'm at least reasonable in the sense I'm maybe a bit more pessimistic with like the points tally I would put an expectation on someone. Like some people, for example, bring out your favourite here, Darwin. We'll bring him in for the next two game weeks. We've got Burnley and then we've got a double. Some people go into that with the mindset and the expectation that he's going to get 25 points or something across those two game weeks, where I would probably be in there thinking, oh, one goal and one assist or something is probably pretty reasonable from him. So if I can get 13 to 15 points and I would still be obviously disappointed if he didn't reach that but because I set myself that lower the sort of lower end of expectation then it's probably a bit easier to live with but people that for example play a bench boost and go in and think I'm going to get 30 points this week and then get 10 that then the sense of disappointment is worse um so I, I don't think you can play FPL very well without expectation because I think every time you make a move you're expecting something um, it, but I think it's it's more the case that you have to be a bit realistic, maybe. And I think that's the challenge when you play more and more and, and for longer. You, you maybe realise now, don't set yourself such high expectations because then the disappointment isn't so bad afterwards. Because most of the time, things really reach their expectation, right? Unless you're Captain Dolly Watkins in the last game week, then you probably succeeded your expectations. But quite unusual. <laughs> but you set the bar low. So. Um. I, that's that's I think that that's a really interesting I, I think re response to this um, and and I wonder if if there's an element of equating the expectation with the process itself like you could you can have that that process that um, getting a certain player at a certain time let's just say for to to use your example you know bringing in Diogo Jota for um for the for the next next three because he has three three games in in the next two game weeks and, and they're and they're good they're good fixtures and so on um is isn't that act and that process in itself worthy enough of the act without having to have the expectation and then the, the other thing i'll add is if, if you go from having like a big expectations right to having small expectations and that feels better imagine from if you go from small expectations to no expectations like if you continue that like a path then you might feel even better yeah but if you go in with just the act you'd be bringing in harvey elliott wouldn't you or you'd be bringing in canate or you'd be bringing in someone you'd, like that because be, that's the principle harvey if Barnes. you just played it for the yeah if you just playing it for the fixtures you'll bring in someone with just to tick that box, you're not bringing in someone you expect to get a lot of points. It's just the, the mindset more that you want the extra games. It doesn't really matter who it is because it's someone that has the, the capabilities of playing the extra games. Um, I, I like it as a, as a philosophy, though. I think I think it gets people thinking. And, and for me personally, last thing for me on this is that the longer I spend in a game week sort of mulling over what to do, changing my mind, going back and forward, I think the, the higher the expectation I put on it. So there's some weeks where... The move is quite straightforward, I feel like. And I don't think a lot about what I'm going to do in terms of my transfer. And then I'm quite realistic with my expectation. But this block of games coming up now where there's doubles and there's blanks and things, it feels quite pivotal to make to at least feel like within yourself you made the right choice. 
whether that's to play a chip, whether that's to take a hit, whether that's to do all these sorts of things. And invariably, you end up with four or five plans and sort of some... You can go back and forward about what, you, what you're going to do. And because you spent so many hours, or in my case, it, I could easily spend so many hours over the course of a game week now mulling over what to do next, that I think my sort of expectation gets higher because I feel like I deserve more and want more because I've committed so much more of my free time to it than I would in a normal week. So that's something to sort of, for me personally, impacts me as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. That's a good. That's a good discussion. Hopefully, gets uh, gets the the wheels turning as as we get into the show here. Um, before we do get into the show in uh, into the show properly here, let's say let's say hello to some people in the chat. Um, Blue Danube Joe's in the house. What's up? Podna says what's up. Uh, Ballroom Jam, FPL discomfort. Kieran's in there. Big Mike is in there. Comb Boogler. Our uh, our Fulham resident is in there. Interested to hear his thoughts. FPL crop duster. Alex makes an appearance. Nice to see you, Alex. Um, Nima, of course. Nima never misses, man. Nima Nima is like, um, he's like the eternal friend. He's like Teddy Ruxpin, my buddy. He's my buddy and me. Um, I don't know if you guys had that over there in the UK when when I was growing up in Canada. We had Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, Claire is in the house. Claire FPL, how you doing? Ignatius Bryan is in. Um, who else scrolling through here? Elron Cupboard is joining us. Clint 1FDE um, is here as well. And we already have some questions, some great questions coming in. Um, throw the questions in the chat there and we'll star them and get to them at the end. Um, one thing about this show is uh, Mariner, with everything he has going on, we don't have his, his, his thing. So we don't have a captaincy metric today. But instead of the captaincy metric, we have a, a little bit of a surprise. Um, Actually, it comes to us from a from a from a Discord request um, from who was it that asked for that? Uh, Doctor Green Thumb. Doctor Green Thumb requested kind of like some wild card talk on Discord. So we're gonna go through maybe a wild card draft, and um, and I think Craig, your decisions for this game week in general are kind of like talking through a wild card anyway, because there's so many ways you could go. So um, so we'll get to that as well um, as we get into the first matchup. Uh, fixture here. Uh, don't forget to like the stream if you've liked anything so far. Um, if not, wait for something you like and then like the stream and um, certainly like it on the way out. Here we go. First match Manchester City versus Everton. Manchester City with a net XG of 1.99, Everton 1.11. Um, the shot based goal predictors don't kind of line up with all of the rest of the metrics. Those are those. Are, well, they line up for Everton, but not for City, um, which probably kind of speaks to how clinical City have been recently. Some of the stats I, I have up here in regards to that, Manchester City clinical with 17 goals from 11.45 XG at home. In their, and this is in their last six home. Um, their shot stats, uh, let's see, their joint second best shots inside the box in the last six with 14. Um uh let's see and everton poor left zonal is bad news for service from mcneil it's kind of like the only thing that might light up for everton is something for mcneil um the way they kind of they beat brighton last season but that one does not light up so uh um what one tactical thing here is i, I don't know if i don't know if nathan patterson will will come and play in this one i think if nathan Cat patterson comes and plays then then it'll be Grealish starting. It makes more sense for Grealish to start both from a tactical perspective and from a perspective that 
Champions League is about to start. He needs to get some minutes, so so it would make sense for Grealish. But if um, if Dyche is going to go with like a, who's a Godfrey at right back and Ashley Young in front of him, I think I think Doku running at both of those players would be lethal. Um, if I were to guess, um, I, I I wrote in my thread that that I that I think it would be Doku, and and now I'm kind of wavering on that. Because I, I think I think Dyche will throw Patterson back in there and kind of force Grealish to, to dribble inside rather than Doku to dribble at them. How do you see this one, bud? I think the big decision is how attacking will Man City be. I didn't really expect them to play what you call the five attackers um, that they obviously played against Brentford. Um, Brentford, obviously a big physical team. Same way Everton are not, not quite the same tactically, but they both tend to be quite direct and play for the physicality. And I thought Man City would go with sort of that double sort of pivot in midfield with, with someone else next to Rodri. But they obviously went with Foden left, Alvarez in the half space, De Bruyne in the other half space and Bernardo right all behind Haaland. And Rodri was kind of more isolated than he sometimes is as a DM. The fact they're at home here and I would say against a similar enough team makes me wonder, will they try something different again? It might not be the same five attackers. But will they still play Rodri as sort of a lone sort of number six and let the five attackers sort of influence the game? And as you say, that could be Grealish or Doku off the left. Maybe Foden plays infield a little bit and, and maybe Alvarez gets a rest in this game or something. I'm not quite sure how the front five will line up. But will they play that or will they go back to a more familiar shape? The, the one thing you would expect from Man City is that I don't know if this is a game for Ake because you, you kind of know what Everton's main threat is to try and load the box with long balls and corners and, and things like that. Ake being one of the smaller defenders. I know he's not particularly bad in the air, but we saw for the goal against Brentford that he got levered out of the way by Tony in a, a physical battle and, and Everton um, and Brentford scored. So I could see Man City going with more of a sort of giant back four, for, for want of a better phrase. It could be Gavardio or it could be I don't know, maybe Stones plays this game next to, to, to Diaz or something and Walker, especially if Walker's got to try and get out quickly to shut McNeil down to stop him getting crosses in the box quickly, or Mikalenko. I'm guessing Walker will, will certainly play this game to try and shut that supplier down um, from the left. Do you think they'll move Foden, though? The fact he's just got a hat-trick in the last game, and obviously I think there's a, there's a feeling now that it was a sort of coming-of-age game for him against Brentford. Very rarely has he sort of led the attack in the way he did in that game with De Bruyne in the team, with obviously Haaland in the team. It was still very much a sort of Foden poster boy performance almost. Do you think they'll want to change from that? Or do you think they'll... doesn't matter because Pep always picks his team depending on the fixture. And so what works well in the last game, he's, he's more than happy just to sort of knock that on the head for a few weeks. I mean, I, I think he he makes slight... I think he makes slight changes, but but I, I, I don't see that... Um... I, I don't see that Manchester City and Foden performance, I guess, the way most people do. I, I don't th- see it as a coming of age for Foden or anything like that. I don't even see it as as he he the team offensively. Um, I I see it as he ended up in the right pockets at the right time, kind of thing. But he he wasn't he wasn't the offensive impetus of the team by any means. If anything, that that was a uh, well, from a from a little bit of a so the way I saw that game was Kevin De Bruyne he was uh, he was ping ponging from one side to the other side and he was like creating like in the corners but he wasn't near the box 
uh, with with that many attackers playing. Kevin Kevin De Bruyne was also like just outside the box and wide. He was and he was on both sides. So I didn't really see him as much in the half space as 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 I did outside. And and I think that's what and I think they could do something similar here against Everton because I think they're going to want to um, kind of isolate the the outside backs if if it's Patterson on 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 the right or or one of the other two. Um, and Mikolenko on the left, especially if Mikolenko tries to get forward at all, um, that, you know Foden could maybe run in, run into those spaces. But but I, I didn't see a kind of systemic Manchester City shift to feature Foden anymore. Uh, to to feature, for, feature Foden, Foden more. Foden more. I'm just hoping he doesn't get stuck out back out on the right side again because I think naturally he doesn't get into the box as much from that position. He can still score goals and and drift in field and things like that, but. As you say, he was in the right spaces at the right times, but I think he was allowed to do that by the fact he was more playing off the left. I've said for quite a while, I'd like to see him play in the role that David Silva played a couple of years ago when um, sort of his latter years at Man City. I think Foden could do a really good job doing that, but he needs to be on that left side of the pitch as playing one-twos and drifting around into space. And when they use him off the right, he doesn't really do that. But then also Bernardo's a little bit wasted as well, isn't he? When he's used off the right, he's obviously got attributes that are, are good to keep the team moving forward and ticking over, and he doesn't have the same impact out there. I guess they're just a bit short at the moment of someone with the ideal sort of profile to play on the right, so they're having to play someone else out there who can do a job, but it's maybe not their most useful position. And it's probably the hardest oh. thing to predict about Foden right now, isn't it, where he's going to play game to game. Yeah, and and yeah. he was more he was more on, on the left against Brentford, but I, I think it depends. Um, like that that right hand side, it's just Pep, Pep is going to do something different with that right hand side. You know, the the right he'll that's why Bernardo Silva can play there because he can he can hold it deeper and and use it to to spread the defense and then attack from the other side. So I, I just think Pep right now, given the players he has, he's resigned to not not penetrating from that side, but stretching the defense and and drawing them out a little bit. Um, um, but but I think that, but, they, but I think that, that they, just to get to like maybe the standout picks here. Um, obviously, Holland, Holland is always a standout pick if if he starts. And and at home, I I think this one does line up okay f- for him, despite what Everton are going to try to do to frustrate him, and be physical. Um, but I, I I just I really like them attacking that uh, Everton's right hand side, e- even if even if Patterson starts. Um, I, I I think they could get something from there. So I would favor, um, yeah, I would just favor the the left side of the field, which makes sense for for Manchester and Manchester City, Manchester given, the City given the way they played. I am a bit weary for Haaland here because I only remember obviously Everton played Aston Villa a couple of weeks ago in a nil-nil draw, and Tarkovsky in particular in that game was very rough. I would say quite fair, but often when he went to win the ball he went he followed through onto the player afterwards now you could say that there's no need for that and that should still be a foul but he has played the ball first and given the sort of injury Haaland's just had I wonder if men uh, if Everton will be sort of tasked with I won't call it dirty tactics but say it's fair in the sense that he's gone to play the ball and played the ball first but there's obviously ways that you can control your movements after you play the ball and I think Tarkovsky particularly in that game was very good at following through on people and I say if Haaland maybe he's not fully fit and has got his injury is more of a bruise type injury than a muscle pull, isn't it? I wonder if they could do something in this game that maybe re-injure him. Um, just just a side thought because he is the logical captain based on fixtures, but um, I, I'm a bit worried how many minutes he'll get in this game and whether he'll get sort of a, a reoccurrence of the injury depending on how Everton defend against him. Mm-hmm. 
All right, I think we can move on to. Do you have any, I think we can move on to the next picture unless you have anything to add here. Yeah. No, we can go on. We can go on. Cool. Um, Fulham versus Bournemouth next. Um, Fulham net XG 1.72, Bournemouth 1.42. Uh, shot goal predictors are pretty muted. Nothing, nothing of note really there. Um, in the zonals, we have Bournemouth's left um, and and Fulham's flanks. Um, especially the, the, the right-hand side, and I do want to talk about that a little bit. But um, So I'll, I'll start with Fulham's right um, a little bit. So it's going to be De Cordova-Reed on, on that right-hand side, I guess. Um, I, I would prefer somebody that would create for others uh, for, for Fulham, but, but that's not really Bobby De Cordova-Reed. But, but I think he can still get something. The, um, the Bournemouth chances conceded heat map there kind of, kind of shows it as well, kind of the bright orange on on that side. But I think there's also, there's also an opportunity for Fulham on the left side with Kearney and William Kearney playing that left center mid role. And when William playing wider, if they can combine and even get Anthony Robinson involved, I think they, that there could be, um, there could be something there for Fulham from, from both sides. And it is indicated there in the zonals a little bit. And then Bournemouth's left. I, I mean, Bournemouth are, it's it's interesting that how much certain teams rely on certain players, and I think uh, I think Tavernier is one of those players for Bournemouth. Now, um, it obviously doesn't help. Semenyo comes back from Afcon, and and he was he was poor last game, so so they do need that kind of balance on the other side. But I think I think the reintroduction of Tavernier uh, on the left side um, is is just a benefit for Solanke, uh and and kind of puts Solanke kind of back in into uh, consideration. As people are selling, yeah, as I might be selling because he's the obvious route for me to get to. I to say it again, second mention of the night for Darwin Nunes, but obviously there's an appeal for him for the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to sell my other two strikers, who are Harland and Tony, who obviously both double in game week 25. So if I do want the third doubling striker of Darwin, Solanke's the obvious sell, and his fixtures. I think this fixture is fine for him. I, I wouldn't be desperate to sell him for this fixture per se, but the next batch after this until the new double now in game week 28 are not the best. So if we're in a position now where we've got some some transfers to do some juggling around of strikers week to week, then I don't think Solanke's maybe necessary for a couple of weeks. He's certainly disposable for a couple of weeks, but then we are going to want him back to probably captain him in game week 28. So one of my big sort of, my team is, is that decision this week that, do I see Solanke getting enough from this game to at least match Darwin um, at home to Burnley? Um, and my gut feeling is I think he could because he's been a bit frustrating actually the last couple of weeks, Solanke. I think I captained him twice in four weeks. He's scored, he's got nothing in either of them. So I feel like he owes me something. Um, but I, I agree that maybe the supply line hasn't really been there uh, for him in the last couple of weeks. The same it was that goal against West Ham basically when Calvin Phillips basically passed in the ball kick into the empty goal right it was that's all he's really done for a couple of weeks it feels like so yeah I, I think Bournemouth have maybe slipped off a little bit maybe not quite as dangerous as they look maybe five six weeks ago Fulham are never a team that I, I'm massively confident in defensively I think in odd games they they look really good in other games they look awful I think they're one of the more inconsistent teams in the league this feels like a score draw but I wouldn't really want to put a prediction on who's going to get any returns in this. This feels like a bit of a lottery game to me in terms of result and in terms of who's going to get the points. I don't think there's a clear standout area where you think there's a mismatch here or an overload here or something. I think it's really hard to call. 
Yeah, I think the the yeah. fact that it's uh that it's away to Fulham make, makes it that much more difficult for Solanke, and and certainly another another reason if you're looking for another reason to to sell him, and you're, you're not comfortable because you know he's gonna score. Um, yeah, I I, I agree. I, I think he's gonna. I just think Solanke will get something here, and um, and and not necessarily punish sellers, but because you're thinking of a bigger picture, especially if you're if you're selling for for Darwin, right? Uh, you, you, Darwin's got a great, great fixture this week as well, and he's got the double. So, um, but I mean, last time I thought in in those <laughs> lines, I uh, missed out on Watkins and Saka points, and that was quite recent. So, um, I don't know. Good, good, luck, good luck to that. There are some comments here. Remember to leave, leave your uh, leave your questions there in the chat, and we'll go to the next one. Spe- <laughs> Speaking of said fixture, we have Liverpool versus Burnley. <laughs> Liverpool 2.27 net XG, Burnley 0.99, Burnley bright red, Liverpool bright green for a kind of across the board. Um, Liverpool, look at a 58% chance of two or more goals for Liverpool. Um, everybody's like jumping for a piece of that. Um, the central and right zonal matchups uh, pop up 5.8, 5.1. When both of those pop up together, my thoughts always turn to Trent. And and if NetXG is below one, it, it just kind of screams Trent Hall. Um, now, if we think of uh, how like different ways Trent can haul, or, or even how Liverpool will line up, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Craig. Uh, because I, I'm thinking Liverpool are going to line up actually with uh, with Diaz on the on the right hand side, stretching the defense for Trent to step in and, and kind of serve balls into the box. Now th- those balls can either hit Darwin Nunez coming in from the left side on on his diagonal runs, or 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 Jota on kind of like the the near the the right half space, or even Jota in the air. I I, I do see a kind of a, a headed goal for Liverpool here. And that's likely served up by Trent, be it to Jota from an open play or um or from a corner or or to Van Dyke from a set piece or something like that. Um but I, I'd like to get your thoughts kind of like tactically on on this one, what you think. And then let, let's go best three Liverpool assets for the next two weeks. I remember this game really vividly from when they played, I think it was Boxing Day, obviously in the reverse fixture, Liverpool won 2-0, but they absolutely battered Burnley. I think Trafford made about 12 saves in that game. Um, and interestingly, Gakpo started through the middle and was very good. They, they played Darwin off the left and obviously Salah was off the right. So I think he's available, Gakpo, for this game. I, I, I've got some reservations over whether Jotter will start this. And, and, or whether they'll just play that same, well, obviously no Salah, so will they play Jota or Diaz down the right? But the way Gakpo sort of manoeuvred the defence around the last time these two teams played, is obviously a, a saying, if it's not broken, um, don't fix it. So given that tactic and that style worked so well the first time round, why would Liverpool adapt? Because I don't feel like Burnley are going to massively adapt. They only really know one real way to play. There's maybe some subtle differences in the way they press and the way they hold the ball. And I think as the season wears on, they're a little less focused on possession compared to the, earlier in the season. But it, from the Liverpool standpoint, Trent was heavily involved. The Liverpool right side was heavily involved that first time round. But Gakpo through the middle was was very important. So what went well for Liverpool, that game dragging defenders around and then Salah and 
Darwin from the wide areas running into the spaces that that could be vacated. So that thought process is is putting me off Jota a little bit here for, for this game, mm. and and the fact that in game week twenty five I'm jumping ahead obviously a game week here, but Liverpool have then got the early kickoff, so. We obviously want Liverpool players for this fixture, but we're also, if we're buying them now, we're buying them for, for double game week 25 as well. And realistically, there's a good chance we'll get some sort of leak, I would think, for game week 25, as it's the early kickoff. So how infuriated would I be if I bought Jota, for example, for this game, he was benched, and then we found out that he was benched as well for the first game of double game week 25. You would still expect him to get minutes in that and then play the second game of double game week 25, but he's still going to get minutes in the three fixtures. But... I still feel there's enough sort of rotation possible here from Liverpool that I'm just not secure on any of the, the attackers' minutes over the next two game weeks to to really want to start taking hits and things like that to get them in. So from a matchup perspective, I like I like Gakpo if he plays through the middle. I think the Liverpool right side will be stronger, but we don't know if that'll be Jota or Diaz. Really good game for Trent. Potentially really good game for Van Dijk because Burnley, as we've seen before, made a right mess of it against Everton, trying to defend sort of corners and long balls. I think Van Dijk could be really good attacking set pieces for this game. He's the one I'm edging towards signing for my team this week from this because of all of the outfield players, I like his minutes more over the, the three fixtures of the next two game weeks. I think he's got reasonable chance of an attacking return in this. The clean sheet is probably 50-50. And then going into the double, I think he's more likely to play 180 minutes than a lot of the outfield players. So he's actually become my main sort of Liverpool target as, as the week's gone on here. But I, I accept there's probably other outfield players with more upside, mainly Trent and obviously the all of the attackers. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I I I, I think I couldn't see it more differently. Um, I so in, so in that game, the last time they played in the, in the two 0 there was massive rotation across the squad in, in, in that game. So I, I'm looking at the, the lineup here. Um, Harvey Elliott started. Uh, Gravenberg started. This was before he was a, a regular starter. Kwanzaa started. Joe Gomez played left back. Um, now, granted, there were obviously like Andrew Robertson's out with injury and so, and, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, Jota was on the bench. Diaz was on the bench. Soboslai was on the bench. And Curtis Jones was on the bench. So... So I, I don't think that's what Liverpool are trying to do. I, I think it was just a heavy rotation during uh, during congested fixture period against a low level team, and and they they go they don't need to do that in this one. So and then and certainly if you're going to rotate and and we saw it you know last weekend right it's um, Jota's not the one you rotate. He's he's your best finisher. He's he's the one that that's he's your biggest threat right now until Salah gets back. So. Um, so I, I don't see Jota being rotated at all. I think absolutely first choice, absolutely the 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 go-to player for to score the, the Liverpool goals. And I think you're right, that right hand side will create for the center. Um, I see Jota in the middle, and and I see like if Diaz on the right hand side, but not really as a as a real threat. I I, I do think I, I don't think the the finishes will come from that right side. I think the finishes will, will come um in the middle as uh as the burnley center backs can get caught kind of like playing a little too wide there and then the last thing i'll say and that the reason i don't like the left so much is because burnley have a new right back his name is asignon and uh asignon had a had a fantastic game um in in, in their last one and, and i think i think he could he could shut down that left hand that left hand side 
Um, I don't know how fast he is, is my only thing. If whether it's Diaz or Darwin, if they're in any kind of space, they might be able to beat him. But Asinon is, is a solid defender, at least from what we've seen so far. He's the only defend the only right back I've ever seen, I think, get an assist from the left wing. That was the last game, wasn't it? He ended up there was a there was a counter-attack from a corner, I think, and he ended up bursting down the left wing for some strange reason and actually put a left footed cross in for uh for Palmer to score, right? Very strange. Not what I expected on debut, the right back to assist from the left wing. But um it, it didn't look overly rapid chasing the ball down the left wing, to be fair. I've got minimal like knowledge of him. I don't know a lot about him, but from watching him run down the left wing for that goal, he didn't look overly quick. But yeah. I can't comment really. It's, it's sort of one moment in one game. Yeah, and it's funny that that play shows up there in the in the heat map, the the fourth image there um, on the right hand side. There's there's a there's two lone spots that that one lone spot on the left wing just out, just outside the box there. Um, so he snags an assist there. Um, all right, cool. So so I'm guessing if um, just in, in a vacuum, top three Liverpool assets for the next two game weeks. The three I'm considering are Van Dyke, Trent, and Darwin. But I, and I don't own any at the moment, so I've got full choice of all of them. So I'm completely impartial to this because, say, they're all open to me. But at the moment, my priority order is probably Van Dyke first, Darwin second, and Trent third. Interesting. Um, I I I don't mind I don't mind the Van Dyke shout, and I do think he could get a headed goal in this one. But I think it's I think it's Trent serving it up. Um, I, I I don't think I could pass up the upside, pass on the upside of Trent. So I, I would go Trent. I, I, Jota for me is number one. He's top top asset to um to get since he is like who they rely on to score goals. Um, then I go Trent because of the different variety, different ways for points. Um, and then then it depends if it's just like just for those two weeks. I or like like we said in a vacuum, then. Then I would probably go for the upside of Darwin over the safety of Van Dyke, um, but but yeah, so it's interesting how we view that one a, a little bit differently here. And I know you have two free transfers, so I'll be interested to see like at the end when we look at the the summary here um, how how you're how you're thinking of them. And I, I know like Darwin's top top of the list. It's just the minutes, isn't it? How many will will Trent play with Connor Bradley around and playing well when the cup final to come after the double? How many minutes will Trent get over the next two game weeks? I agree that in normal circumstances, you'd pick him. But just because he's been injured, now he's now got someone else that can play in his position. I know they're very different players. And I'm not for any I'm not suggesting that Bradley's gonna displace Trent and get Trent out of the team, but I think they can afford to maybe rest Trent a bit more now with him there. So I only want a Liverpool player for two weeks and I want to sell him again. So I may as well pick the one that I feel like is going to play 270 minutes rather than someone who might only play like 150 over the next two game weeks or something. But this is where each team's different. Right? We've all got different different roles from our players. You might want your Liverpool player for five weeks. Um, you may be wild carding straight after game week 25 or, or something. So it's individual circumstances who we want at the moment. But say fitting my, what I need from my team, I think those safe minutes from Van Dijk is probably more important at the minute, especially because I'm likely to bench boost next week. So it fits into that as well. Yeah, yeah. Especially you're staking another chip on on uh on the on the minute. So so that 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 does make sense. And 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 you're right. I think it's it's a good point to make. Connor Bradley is not um he's not supplanting Trent. He's not he's not a threat to Trent in any way. 
if anything, he enables Trent for more important situations and stuff like that. Like now they know that they, they have somebody and maybe they've known for a while, but they um, just haven't been able to put him out there for some reason. But yeah, I think that's a good point. Let's move on to the next um, fixture <laughs> as, as people in the chat are uh, Ignatius says, Gabe finally go with Darwin. Comberg Gabe wants Darwin. Um, so, so, <laughs> stop spreading fake news, people. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> <laughs> You did I put him third, begrudging Gabe. I think we'll, we'll say you put him in begrudging third, a long distance behind the other two, begrudging third. Exactly, that's that's exactly right. Because I didn't want to hear about it. Like he doesn't have to be prominent in in my predictions. <laughs> so I put him at the end of the predictions, and I give him something so so we don't have to talk about him. <laughs> so, um. Speaking of high-flying attacks, we have Luton hosting Sheffield United. Luton with a net XG of 2.08 at home compared to Sheffield United 1.15. Obviously a combination of um, Luton's recent form and Sheffield United just being abysmal, especially away from home. Um, I wrote here that Luton have nearly 50% shot and target to goal conversion, converting 13 of their... Uh, convert scoring 13 goals out of 28 shots on target at home. Um, so they're they're quite clinical in their finishing, the definitely one-touch finishing and heading kind of team. Um, left zonal for Luton uh, stands out a little bit there, so all eyes turn to, to Alfie Doughty. Um, but uh, let's see, Sheffield United with an interesting sh- uh, the goal prediction based on shots here is interesting for Sheffield United. Um, Luton have the most shots per 90 conceded at home, five, 15 and a half shots per 90 conceded at home. So, so that's kind of playing favorably in Sheffield United's direction there. One thing I'll say about Luton is with Alfie Doughty whipping dangerous crosses in from the left and Ogbene converted wingback. Now he's not playing wing anymore at, at, at wingback dribbling and penetrating lines and getting around and get using his speed. Yeah. Poor Dan Byrne is still licking his wounds. Um, Luton's attack is, is kind of taking taking shape here, and, and teams are going to have to adjust when, when they play Luton. How do you see this one? Yeah, I think the best attacks are when the two wide players are very different types of players. Like Saka and Martinelli, obviously very different one more of a runner, one more of a dribbler, those sorts of things. You've got two very different here. One just wants to get the ball and play a first-time cross, and the other one's prepared to run at people. And it mixes up the threat, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I can't say I've taken Luton that seriously until last week. I maybe harshly um, put the mindset that teams were underestimating them and then therefore sort of committed a few too many bodies forward or something, and Luton caught them sort of cold on the break. But I'm coming around to the idea now that that's maybe not quite right. And I, they deserve a bit more respect than that, than what I've been giving them. I think they have adapted as the season's gone on. I think Barkley is very important through midfield in terms of sort of being able to, to deal with the press. If people, teams do get to press them, I think he can sort of manipulate that and, and get them moving forward from there. And that they've got strikers at the moment that are confidence, uh, full of confidence. And I think any striker, when they're in a confident mood, are more, are more clinical for it. So... The fact that they've got this game against the Sheffield United team that looked like they might be getting marginally better until they were absolutely awful against Villa um, last week and now they they feel like whipping boys again. So you've got Luton with this fixture, then they've got a double, not as good as some other doubles, but it's still a double. And then now they've got another double in, in game week 28. 
they suddenly become on the radar, don't they? And this is my sort of alternative. If I don't go for Van Dijk this week, am I better off going for Alfie Doughty? Because in this fixture, you could argue that he's, he's ceiling for points is maybe more than Van Dijk. I think it's an argument. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I think it's feasible that it could happen. Next week, they both got doubles and then Doughty you can keep for a couple of game weeks longer because he's got another double that you might want him for and a higher chance to play game week 29 because um, Liverpool, you think, are going to blank against Everton because they'll get far enough in the FA Cup. So Doughty could actually be quite helpful um, or any Luton player, in fact, could be quite helpful now for about six or seven game weeks. It's Are they good enough to warrant holding someone or more than one player for six or seven game weeks? But if you're going to do it, this is the week to do it, isn't it? Because this is where... This is a high upside fixture. Then they've got two doubles and a chance to play 29. So they're on my radar. They haven't really been on my radar all season, Luton players. But once that double got dropped in in 28, I'm now thinking about maybe that one or two of their players aren't the worst players to have around, um, shall we say. You certainly want to play them in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're right. Like Luton's attack now working kind of um, has us thinking about their assets, but that's what I say. Forget about Darwin, get Adebayo. You could do if you need the budget, right? It's, it's, it's probably the best budget striker in the game right now. If you are of that mindset that you play with two strikers and a budget, one is obviously Cameron Archer for a lot of teams for most of the season. They've People might have tried to mess around with a Chris Wood or someone like that for a bit, but I don't think there's any doubt in now that if you want an eighth attacker to be a cheaper striker, then it's him, right? And I say he's 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 got confidence. They're, I think they're playing to suit him a little bit more. Obviously, Colton Morris's roles may be adapted. You noticed it against Brentford, uh, sorry, against Brighton, that maybe Colton Morris played a bit deeper. Um, and I think like, he did the same against Newcastle. So maybe they've stumbled across sort of a, a a formation and a tactic now that suits him a bit better. And Adebayo is leading the line by himself with two players sort of near him. Um, and the team maybe are sort of playing to his strengths all of a sudden. So, yeah, I, I don't dislike him as a move. It's just whether at the moment with Tony with a double coming up, with Darwin with a double, with Haaland with a double, then you've still got Solanke with a double in the future. People still got Watkins and things like that, whether Adebayo is strong enough to displace one of them. But I, I certainly couldn't put someone off getting him in. Um, Certainly a consideration for it. We, we'll talk about it at the end about a wild card. I, I think it's it's, it's a possibility you stick him in. Mm-hmm. All right, that will. I, I think that uh, that exhausts this fixture. We'll move quickly on to the next one. Um, this one, yeah, I, I like goals in this one. Tottenham uh, versus Brighton. Uh, Spurs two point oh seven net xg. Brighton one point two seven away. Spurs green goal predictor. You got a what is that? A fifty-five percent chance of two or more goals. Um, minimal goalkeeper influence, and nothing really stands out in the zonals here. Um, Brighton potentially from from the flanks, but that that's no surprise here. I think I think the big thing to talk about here is one uh, those that that have gone for Gross. Gross's positioning, as we see, has been quite deep. And that happens. And even when the thing is, even when that happens, he can still get something on one of his runs forward. But his runs forward haven't haven't been to the really near the box these days. Um, so gross, despite I think this could be a decent fixture for him. I I, I think he's a, a likely sell. And 
the oh and the other thing i wanted to talk about here is it looks like mitoma is going to come back and i know there's a lot of talk about estupinyan and estupinyan was um was benched last game and i think this happened before in the season if i'm not mistaken i'm just I have a vague memory of that uh, i'll have to look that up but but what i like about estupinyan is that serbi has been missing this left side for such a long time and mitoma coming back after after iran knocked them out right it was iran that, that eliminated um no i don't i don't remember how the asian cup went but anyway i think what matoma's on his way back if he plays with estupinyan um that left side could just kind of like reignite the team i think this game's hard to call because of, of all the fixtures this game's probably the most impacted by people coming back from afcon and, and the asia cup right you've got brighton now with a couple of players back most notably matoma and I think we've said on here before that Brighton have had to adapt the last sort of four or five game weeks from a style they've largely played since the Zerbi has been there, where you say favouring the left side. But it hasn't been like that now for a few weeks because they haven't had the, the personnel available to play that way. But now they should have the personnel available to play that way if they go back to playing how they used to. And then you've got Tottenham with Sun coming back, but he comes straight back into the team. And if he does, who for? You, you wouldn't think they're going to bench Richarlison having what he's done the last couple of game weeks. So are they going to bench Werner and stick some back out on the left where he wasn't as dangerous maybe in the first sort of handful of game weeks of the season? He was, he was better when he was playing through the middle. So wh- where does he come back in? Does he just come back in and, and play off the bench for a couple of weeks where they carry on playing how it's been for the last few weeks, Tottenham and, and playing well? So tactically, I think this one's quite hard because... I'm not confident what, certainly with Brighton, I'm not quite confident how they're going to play. Uh, and Tottenham, I think it's very different if Sun's playing compared to if Sun's not playing. My gut feeling is that they'll he'll be on the bench and he'll, he'll get minutes and they'll play maybe Kulisevsky, Richarlison and Werner again as the front three in this game. Um, I don't know what you think about that. You, you confidently comes back in or both of those two come straight back into the team? Yeah, I I, I think so. I, I don't think there's any, like, it's... It, Spurs, Spurs need the points. This is not a that they're gonna need the goals. Um, but I, I wonder if um, so. I, I don't think there's any problem with with you know if Werner goes to the bench or whatever. Son Son can play on the left. I, th- I think that's a perfectly viable option. But it, but I wonder if if Son goes back at the nine, and because the the problem with Spurs right now, where, where they need the most help, is on the right, and Richarlison can play before before Richarlison went to. I forget if it, if it was before he went to Spurs or before he went to Everton. Um, the way his career had gone, he had played equally on the left, center, and right. So I think Richarlison could play on the right um, because the, the right for Spurs, just Kulusevsky and, or, and Brandon Johnson, the, that's, not what, that's not what Ange needs. Kulusevsky's coming into the half space, like he's cutting in on his left and coming into the half space where, where Porro's trying to, trying to cut into. And that's that's not working there. Um, but Richarlison could play on that right hand side, and Sun could play at the nine. So much much like much like Wolves, and for a lot of these teams where there are players coming back, it's kind of like a wait and see to see how that front three develops. Like who and where, like where will people be? I'm I'm not sure. It could Kulusevski could stay on that right hand side. It could be a Kulusevski and Brendan Johnson, and Timo Werner comes out, or 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 Richarlison moves back to the left. I, I don't really I don't I don't know I, I don't I I don't know how to predict that one. 
I think they want pace down the left, though, Tottenham, I think it's the goal, whether it's Son or whether it's Werner. I don't think you'd play Richarlison left here because the Brighton right side, unless they play Lamptey back in his favoured position at right back and they're stooping on left back, which is, is possible. But Brighton have obviously been trying other things at, at right back lately. Van Hecks had a game there, I think, and Milner's played there, Hinchwood's played there. But I think all of those options are quite susceptible to a pacey left-sided player. So some mm-hmm. of them aren't natural defenders in the first place. And Van Hicks, a centre-back sort of playing there, he's going to get done for, for pace as well. So I agree. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I've got Estupan and Emporo in my team. So I'm not expecting a clean sheet from either. And Estupan is borderline probably the one I would have to have to sell if I did want to go to Van Dijk or if I did want to go to, to Doughty. So... Logic would say after the last two game weeks, the fact he got subbed off at half-time in one and didn't start the next one, that he should go. But I do kind of agree with you that I think it can be quite temperamental with the Zerbi, and especially if they've got a left-winger back, that it could be a, it could be a dangerous mistake, said in a sleeper this week, because I think he could come in handy over the next couple of game weeks and he might sort of reignite himself and find some form again after obviously a couple of weeks where it's he's not been so good for him. Yeah, it is. It's it's a uh, it, it's a tough one, but um, but that that side is going to be really interesting. The the Porro Estupiñan side will be will be really interesting there. I think we can go. Let's let's move on to the next one. Um, you know there there do seem to be goals in this one. Um, the one the one reason to keep Estupiñan over over Porro is uh, no blanks, right? Good fixtures, good fixtures for March. Good for March and no blanks. I imagine you'll blank 29. They've got Man City, right. one of those two are going to win the FA Cup. It's obviously a long way away. And maybe we, should, we we said when I podded with you last that play what's in front of you. Don't make decisions based on what might be in six, seven weeks' time. So you shouldn't keep um You shouldn't ditch your stupid end just because he's likely to blank that far down the line. Um, right. But again, if, you, if, you, if you're targeting a Trent or you're targeting a Doughty or a Van Dyke, then you've got to set a defender to do it, right? So if you look at, it depends who you, you feel like your weakest defender right now. And because of his sort of uncertainty around minutes, it feels like it's him for me. But I say that could easily come back to bite me on the ass and prove to be the wrong choice. Right now, we'll move on to the next one here. Um, Wolves versus Brentford. This is this this was one of the more interesting ones of the game week for me. Um, NetXG says Wolves 1.95, Brentford 1.07, bright red for Brentford, Brentford kind of across the board there. Um, Wolves looking at you know everything green except zonals are meh, and uh, and even the shot predictor is kind of meh. So, um, let's see like where Wolves' data is coming from. Um, they've scored 10 to 15 big chances in the, in the last six home games. Um, and they've scored 12 goals from an XG of 8.82. So that overperformance is kind of what's earning Wolves some some respect from the data. Um, Brentford data it, it's changing with with Tony. Obviously, um, they they've been kind of scraping by, but now having Tony there and having that that this budding partnership between Tony and Malpe is I, I'm I'm loving it because of and I'm loving how many people hate it. I'm finding myself loving like but when people when people hate hate the partnership because whatever one one's a shithousery and then the other one's gambling or whatever they want to say. Um I'm finding I'm enjoying that even more. I loved I loved how Tony uh uh had a little conversation with Mope and sent him sent him flying on on that um on, on the goal against City. 
Um, so, yeah, so this one, what I find interesting from a Wolves perspective is He Chan Huang is coming back, and, and I included um, the average position the last time Wolves played um, Brentford, and He Chan Huang was, was in the lineup, and that's him number 11 there, way far ahead of anybody else. So with Neto back and the front three of Neto, Huang, and, and Cunha, I, I think we could really see some exciting things from from wolves and i just i just like that partnership and if if you are thinking of like and that'll be a conversation uh for the wild card as well i think i think maybe having he chan wang in in on a on a wild card team or or bringing him in pretty soon with some nice fixtures coming up um could be quite interesting what do you think yeah i think in most wildcard teams you're probably going to want two midfielders under six million now naturally most people say cole palmer needs to be one of them but then again, after this week, he plays Man City, then he's got a blank. And now it looks like he's going to blank again in 29. So I think there's an argument now that certainly after this week, you maybe don't need Cole Palmer. And then you've got Garnaccio, who's obviously quite a lot cheaper, who's also doing bits at the moment. So you, you kind of want him as well. So if, you, if, you, if you're not going to go for Cole Palmer, and I think there's an opportunity not to have him. I think one of the Wolves guys is probably a good option. And particularly for someone like you, Gabe, who's got Jota, I think a Wolves midfielder is the ideal move away from Jota in like 26. Wolves have got Sheffield United that week. Yep. So you've got two game weeks yep. now to assess how it's going to work with Wang coming back and make a decision if Wang or Neto or someone else, or Cunha even, which one of those three attackers ends up looking like the best option. So assess it now that, that they're back for a couple of weeks and then get one in probably in game week 26. And I say from a Liverpool midfielder, it's probably quite a good position to be in because... They obviously blank 26, fixtures aren't great, and they're probably going to blank 29 as well. So I think it is a wait and see. We said it about um, Brighton, but I think it's a wait and see for Wolves as well. And I, I'm just not one of those managers that likes to target Brentford because I think in any given fixture, Frank can sort of shut it down. And I, I'm not, this feels like a midfield battle sort of game. I, I, I do think Brentford probably should play 3 5 2. I know that Wolves aren't usually the standard of opposition that means they play 3 5 2. They usually hold that formation for when they play one of the big six. But I think the mid, they're not going to want to get overloaded here 3 v 2 in the middle of midfield against Wolves, I don't think. So I think they'll want to keep that battle 3 v 3. Um, and that'll probably give Brentford the best chance of a, of a result. Um, probably, I, I would just, my, my gut feeling is this will be quite low scoring, but wouldn't like to predict who's going to win. I, th I think it, I don't think you buy anyone from this fixture this week. I think you get Tony. I think I think you. I don't know. I kind of disagree. I see goals in this fixture. I, I think you get Tony. Um, obviously, not 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 just this week, but for for other reasons as well. Um, if you want to go early on on Wolves, if you did go early on Wolves, if you got Hakunya Matata, um, then then you hold. You play comfortably here um and and even even players like and that was always the plan uh, wolves was my my out uh, after jota jota will, will go to a wolves player and i am glad i'll i'll have a couple of weeks to see who i want to go for i think net netto's the will have more roads to points sometimes on the end of things always in in the creative um areas um it'll probably be between netto and and hechan but i think it'll be hechan huang the other thing I'll say is I really like uh, Sergio Reguilón in this, uh, up against Nelson Semedo. Nelson Semedo, um, obviously, we know his weaknesses, and and I just I just see Reguilón's influence kind of growing week to week. 
and it's and, and I and I think that's exactly what this Brentford team have have been missing um, with, after the loss of Rico Henry. So I think Reguilon changes Brentford almost as much as Shaw changes uh, United, and we'll get to that one shortly. I've seen him creeping into a few teams actually this week. Uh, I, I know a few people that are playing their wild card this week, and I hadn't even really looked at Regulon, but a, a few people I've, I've seen have crept him into their wild card drafts. Yeah, I, I don't dislike that move. Just a question on Tony for you, then, Gabe, quickly before we move on. So, if you own Solanke at the moment or Watkins as one of your strikers, and you was planning to move one of those two for Tony, would you do it this week? Bearing in mind, obviously, Solanke's got Fulham. We've already spoken about that. Watkins has got Manchester United. And obviously, Tony's got this fixture. Do you see Tony being better this week than either of those two? I like Tony more than Watkins. Okay. They're, they're uh, both away, right? Uh, Villa at home, guys, I think. Yeah, Villa at home to Manchester United. Villa, all right, Villa at home. That's that's tough. It's it's close. It's it's close. I, I think... I think what I like more about Tony than Watkins, and again, it's splitting hairs. And and if you, it might be better to go into next week with with two free transfers rather than an, anticipate one, right? If you can roll one, that's probably better. Um, but I, but I like that for Brentford. It's probably it's if it's if anything happens, it's probably going to be Tony. Recent Malpai goal aside, um, whereas for Villa, I don't know that it'll, it'll necessarily be Watkins. Yeah, I think it's fair. I, I don't disagree. It was just a question because it feels like it's very 50-50 between all three of those this week. It's quite hard to call, isn't it, who's better and worse from those three? Yeah, cool. Fair enough. Yeah. We, we can move on to the next one. Um, got, I think, just a few more to go as we approach the hour mark here, Craig. Uh, Nottingham Forest versus Newcastle. Interesting data for this one. Nottingham Forest, 1.98 net XG at home. Newcastle, 1.37. Um, Nottingham Forest, 4.0 left zonal, 4.5 right zonal for Forest. <laughs> um, uh, the, the Dan Burn effect. Um, and then Newcastle, you know, slightly kind of like a um, neutral fixture, I guess you could call it, from central and the, and the right side of the field. Um, here's it like just just so like this might shock people like the the, the data is so green for Forest so so I thought I'd throw up some of um, Newcastle's kind of conceded stats here most shots in the box conceded this is the, the last six away games most shots in the box conceded with 92 92 shots in the box conceded in six uh, most shots on target conceded 51 highest expected goals conceded on penalty 17 17 xg can conceded non Liverpool game, isn't it? The, the Liverpool game when the XG was about seven is probably in that in this window, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It is like that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully for them, Darwin Nunez is playing. Um most big chances conceded, 27 big chances conceded, and joint most chances conceded from the left. 28 consensus chances conceded from the left and second most chances conceded from the right, 36. I mean, this just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, whoops, didn't mean to go forward there. Um, as far as like the tactics or the personnel and stuff, um, look for Gio Reyna to, to kind of get more influence there for, for Forrest. And I, I wrote here that uh, that finally we could, we could see Harvey Barnes on the left and Gordon on the right because there, there were some positive reports on Gordon, but I think the most recent reports suggest that Gordon will miss this this fixture 
So Harvey Barnes slides, slides in for um, for Anthony Gordon there on the left-hand side. And the right, I guess, maintained with uh, Murphy, Almiron. Murphy, Who's there? Yeah, one of those two. You imagine Almiron will probably start, I would think. Murphy doesn't often play unless there's sort of fitness starts around others. So I, I think probably Almiron plays. Um, Callum Wilson fit as well to play through the middle. We think so, don't we, for this game? He came on. Um, in the last fixture, so yeah, Wilson should play. Right. Be interesting here. You've obviously a one years back playing, having an influence. You've mentioned in your notes there that Rayner um, probably plays instead of Alanga, but it was Alanga and Chris Wood that were the decisive players the last time these two teams played again. That was over Christmas when Chris Wood scored the hat trick, and Alanga, as we pointed out, was the one just sort of exploiting that space in behind Dan Byrne. Rayner's. Slightly different sort of wide player to that. So we'll, I'm not sure how that will work down that side because it, it will seem a bit stupid to take away the big pace option running against uh, Dan Burton. It's quite a predictable strategy now on how to defeat Newcastle. But again, Newcastle don't seem to be doing a, a great deal to prevent it so far because Dan Burton's been exposed in the same way in numerous games lately. So I don't know. I don't know where I stand with this game because I was looking to get a Newcastle defender. I know you're quite a big advocate of Trippier at the moment um, as, as an option, but I just don't feel like Newcastle are going to keep a clean sheet the way things are going. Until I see some noticeable difference in the way they play, I always feel like they're liable to concede against someone. And Forest do have enough sort of pacey players that can sort of exploit space and things. So Newcastle could win this, but I certainly think both teams will probably score. Um which will put me off getting a Newcastle player in now. Yeah, I, I, especially away from home, I, I agree. Yeah, both teams will likely score here. Um, yeah, and and it does it does make sense to go with speed. I don't know if Dan Byrne will start. Maybe I suppose they could they could play Livermento left back. I guess it's a possibility. Um, do you think they'd more like to do it in a home game? But if you, if they know they're playing up against yeah fast wingers and fast outlets, then horses for courses, right? The manager should pick a team that's best suited to dealing with that. Forest aren't loaded with sort of aerial threats, are they? they obviously, the centre forward will be a, a physical aerial target, but is he really going to start trying to peel away onto the small fullback for crosses? Maybe he would, but I wouldn't pick that. It's not. There's certainly other games like the likes of Everton, the likes of Brentford, where you you think I'll play the the bigger fullback rather than the mm. the sort of more attacking, maybe more pacey fullback. So yeah, it, it could happen. It always just feels like he plays Dan Byrne when he's fit to me, anyhow. So I'd be I, st- I would be quite surprised if they dropped him or benched him or rotated him, however you want to phrase it. But I, I guess it's possible for this game. It would make sense as well to do it in this game. Yeah, I'm as an owner, I'm I'm concerned uh, after he got roasted. Uh, by um, forget his name now, but uh, the the Luton player that I, I forget his name. Oh, that I about. Yeah, oh, Bene. That's right. That's right. Um, so um, some uh, some comments there in the chat. I mean, don't turns thirty on that day. Yeah, you know, we for those of us that missed the uh, the Alvarez uh, birthday goals, maybe Almiron gets some birthday goals. Um, who knows? Uh, Elron Carbert asks, is the Matt Turner dream over? Yeah, from like um, his meteoric rise, he—I think he started playing football when he was sixteen or something like that. 
Um, so he's 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 come a long way. Congratulations to him. Um, but yeah, that's over. Cells cells should take over there. The new signing from Strasbourg, if I'm not mistaken, I think so. Um, I think so. Um, yeah, I'm not sure on that one actually. Sounds sounds plausible. We'll go with that for now. We'll we'll go with that. <laughs> that's right. Um, as we go with that, we can. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we we can move on to the next matchup. Um, West Ham versus Arsenal. Look at look at all the red here. I, I I love that it's that it's red for everybody when we're expecting something else. Um, one point two two net xg for West Ham. One point one seven paltry. One point one seven for for Arsenal. Deep red shot based goal predictor for um for West Ham with a. What is that? A seventy-seven percent chance of zero or one goals for 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 West Ham, which is which is great. Um, Arsenal center and right zonal slightly lighting up, but not not really too much either. And the the one thing that that really just stands out here is um, Raya away has an awful goalkeeping record. While I I'll, I'll I'll look up those stats in just a second. I did want to talk about something. This is something I talked with uh, with Lucien about um, a couple days ago on the review show. Is Arteta's four two 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 that that he showed up with against Liverpool? Don't expect to see that in this one. Uh, won't be needed. Those kind of the, that kind of trickery won't be needed against West Ham. I I don't think so. And and it'll be your you know your standard four three three. But the player I really like here and and. The reason is that the third image there from left to right, West Ham uh, chances conceded away is Odegaard. I think Odegaard could have a, a great game here, just kind of like creating all around that top of the box in, in between in between the two lines there. How do you see this one while I while I look up some Raya Martin stats? Raya Martin stats. Um, in, re- in my head, this should be one of the most one-sided fixtures in the season because one team are, are so good in terms of shape and the other team are so bad. But then you look at the results this season, West Ham have already beaten Arsenal in the domestic cup. And then West Ham have also beaten Arsenal in the return fixture. Now you can argue that it's variance. And if they replayed the fixture 20 times, Arsenal would probably win sort of 17, 18 of them, draw one, lose one. And we got the, the, the one loss, but they are becoming a bit of a bogey team this season for Arsenal West Ham. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense because West Ham don't play in a way that really should threaten Arsenal. Arsenal should sort of have the upper hand in all areas, the pressing, the control and all things like that. But West Ham just keep finding a way um, in moments, in games, whether it's sort of a a deflection or a set piece or something like that. Moments just seem to be falling for them. So I'm a bit hesitant to say that Arsenal should be winning this quite comfortably because I thought that twice this season when they played West Ham and they've lost both the games. So it's all there for Arsenal to control the game, control the tempo, um, sort of swamp West Ham back into their own half, sort of create overloads in the last line of defence, all these sorts of things. But for whatever reason, it's just not working against West Ham. West Ham seems to have an answer for them right now. So I'm, I'm still going to say that West Ham, uh, that Arsenal should win again, but it feels like it should be quite a comfortable win, despite what the, the data is saying on the screen. It feels like it should be sort of quite a routine sort of 2-3-0 win for Arsenal. But something tells me that it's going to be sort of harder work than that. But I do agree that it could be good for Odegaard. It depends what 
West Ham, in theory, should have strengthened their central midfielder. If they play Edson Alvarez and, and Calvin Phillips together, that's quite a good sort of defensive, disciplined midfield duo with with sort of attributes that offer a bit of everything. So West Ham, in theory, should be harder to break down with sort of a, a reasonably good back two and then two holding midfielders right in front of them will, will, will maintain the position. So West Ham, you, you feel like, should do quite well at shutting down space centrally and keeping the centre quite compact. Um, and in theory, then, it's the wide players that have the impact, probably Martinelli, really, because I, I don't really like the West Ham right side so much. So I feel like Martinelli could have the advantage down that flank. But um, West Ham are just very unpredictable week to week. So I'll, I'll go as Martinelli being the player I would want if I could pick one player from this. But it really wouldn't surprise me if this was one all or something going into the next game week. We look back and think, how did that happen? Because it's already happened twice. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, it is um, both uh, Socek and Edson Alvarez. They do have a tendency to get forward a little bit. So I, I think there's an opportunity there. And and Socek isn't really the the shield, I guess, that um, the, for for that back line. That's, that's not the way he plays really. So so I think that but, – but I think point taken, Edson Alvarez is a, is a quality player. Um, and and I, I can see – I like I like Martin Martinelli against against Sofal. I think I think that's a decent matchup, and I think Martinelli could even get like some. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Sofal got a got a yellow card and then had to play more uh, more conservatively, or or if Martin, Martinelli even even got a pen out of that. So um, we'll move on here to the next one. The one thing I'll say about West Ham as well is one of the reasons they're so poor in uh, in open play is because. Of, well, they're missing a nine, and they're the two best players play the same position. So that's it's always tricky when when you're trying to squeeze that in. And I think some somebody in the chat here is, is asking like, what happened to Arsenal? What happens to Arsenal data? This is Arsenal's data away. It's just um, like Arsenal are a completely different team away. Uh, we talked about it last um, last week as well. Like just for for reference, let's see, Arsenal at home in the last six home. They have the most big chances. They have 29 big chances in the last six home away. They have 14, which is still like like a, a decent amount, um, but obviously half half of what they do at home. They've only scored six of those 14 uh, compared to 11 of the 29. So that's that's just a little example of what happens to Arsenal's data when we look at it away. It just always turns red. It did that a couple of weeks ago. A couple um, weeks ago. Um... They're not very free flowing, are they? I think there's a, there's clearly a, a strategy from Arteta that they they're going back to the 1990s sort of ethos of Arsenal. We 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 win one nil under when George Graham was the manager. And I'm not saying Arsenal necessarily setting up that defensively to try and win one nil, but I think there's been a clear sort of goal that defence first, and then hopefully they will score one or two and and still win games. But they're missing that sort of ruthless finisher. Maybe a bit like what Man City were like three or four years ago. And they obviously went and dealt with that by signing Haaland, who then obviously gets them enough goals. And it's ironic that Arsenal have got Jesus up front now when that old school Man City team had Jesus up front. So mm. I think Arsenal are still a work in progress. They're they're probably an attacker light. Um, and maybe someone more of a, a De Bruyne type mindset. You, you mentioned earlier in the Man City matchup preview about how much he drifts. And sort of he's prepared to run around the players and, and roam across the pitch. I don't think Odegaard's quite as dynamic as that. And as much as he's quite useful, I think someone who's a bit more dynamic, a bit more of a willing runner in that position, while still maintaining that level of creativity, would really help Arsenal. So I think there's still one or two players short, but 
they're not quite as free-flowing going forward as the likes of Man City and, and Liverpool are, it feels like, and they're playing to win sort of tight games is, is how they're sort of setting up. Yep, agreed. We'll move on to the next one here. Um, there we go. Here's your team, Aston Villa versus Manchester United. Villa with a with strangely low net XG at home. Uh, it's usually been uh, soaring all season long, bright, bright green, but not so much this this week. Villa 1.59 net XG, Manchester United 1.17. Villa kind of on the back of a central zonal matchup there with 4.5 in the central zone. Um, and solid, solid uh, shot-based goal predictor for Villa, which with a 50% chance of two or more goals. Um, just some stats I have here. Manchester United conceded the most chances from the center, 36, and the third most from the right, 27, in the last six away games. So con- conceding from the center and the right kind of um, plays to Villa's hands, if you will, uh, when when you guys want to bring it up, the, the, the center and that left-hand side with um, Alex Moreno. Um, and and those those stats when again like similarly to like when Liverpool the right and the center lineup for Trent I feel like when when the the left and the center lineup for Villa that that kind of screams Watkins to me um, so I'll be interesting to get your perspective on that and tell me if you uh, you, you know you're the one that brought this idea to my attention that, that Villa will likely be in a back five um, how do you see this game playing out in general game playing out in general. Uh, I think it's very worrying based on how Villa played against Chelsea in the FA Cup replay because that was probably our strongest team for the moment. Obviously, two, I would say Conser and Carlos are our best two defenders and now they're both out. And so we're left with not really having an inverted fullback anymore that plays in the, a back three in attacking shape. So Cash and Moreno will both look to get forward. So then we have to build up a different way, which usually means that Bubakar Kamara drops into defensive line when Villa have got the ball. But by him moving backwards, other people's positions all change. There's a lot more movement in the Villa system. And it leaves us a bit more open to being transitioned on. And I feel like Man City, Man City Manchester United have got similar issues in, in many ways to Chelsea. And Chelsea still just absolutely dominated us in the FA Cup for the most part of that game. So it puts me off Villa a little bit here. I think I've got no confidence at the moment for Villa. We've obviously started the season really well. I thought our our stats around goals was a bit inflated then, and I think it's now come back in line with some level of normality. I still think in any given moment, Watkins can score goals and we'll get chances. We have enough attackers around him to supply for him. But at the moment, I just feel like Villa are a bit defensively light and a bit attacking short. Uh, the system that we're being asked to play, I think, takes maybe one attacking player out of our attacking shape, which leaves us one player light in attack. And the fact we've lost both our best defenders means that we're a little bit more dependent on Emmy Martinez to, to, to save us in defence. So I think in all forms, Villa are a bit of an avoid at the moment. I've got Alex Moreno um, and I'm probably going to bench him for this game because I, I, I know you've highlighted there that from an attacking standpoint, it could be quite a good one for him against Dallow. Don't disagree with that. But I, I've literally got no sort of faith at all in, in Villa keeping a clean sheet in this game. So do we want to pick a defender? With that mentality, I don't know who who would you pick here, Moreno or Porro this week? If you have to start one of those two, they're both at home, and they're both arguably unlikely to keep a clean sheet, aren't they? So, who's more likely to get an attacking return is what you're playing, I think. Um, hmm. That's, that's tough. Big that's tough. tough. And that's it, tough. it might be. Well, I don't know. Do, do you think on that right hand side is it going to be Bailey or like? Because I, I figured Cash will play right centre back, right? He'll play right back in a four. So it'll be four. It'll, it'll be Cash 
Carlos, Longley and Moreno, I think, as a back four. Kamara, Louise, McGinn will probably play in front with Bailey and then Tielemans and Watkins. I think that's probably our strongest team. So ba Bailey should be the one up against Luke Shaw. Um, and most of the good stuff Villa are doing for the last sort of handful of game weeks have been initiated by him. So he's almost the most important player going forward, I think, Bailey. If he has a bad game, Villa don't tend to create very much, if it was like. So... So I guess I, I guess I was envisioning. Um, well, Pau Torres apparently is is he's fit. He's good to go. Is that? Can you confirm or deny? Uh, I haven't seen that. I, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I haven't seen it. So I'll, I'll, I'll have a double check now. Yeah, if you can have a look real quick. He's not showing up on the Premier Injury site. Um, so I, I think he's healthy. And the way the way I was seeing this was um, was a back three and then but of cash cash on the right powell and uh longley so the, the the back three and then bailey as the right wing back with uh, which emory has done before and alex moreno as a left wing back um but it, i i think with the uncertainty the uncertainty and and the defensive injuries i would i would probably go porro over, over moreno yeah, that, that's what I've got at the moment. So I think in, until Villa get sort of some of their players back and sort of a bit more of a routine again, it feels like we're chopping and changing a lot. And it, the players that are getting injured are causing knock-on effects to the system, which isn't helping the way we're playing. So we have gone off the boil, it feels like, since we had those two 1-0 wins over Arsenal and Man City. We've been quite unreliable since then. Um, and I guess the worrying part is just how open we felt defensively. And I think that since Torres has been injured, has been a, a notable loss. I, I, I didn't, not I didn't rate him as a defender, but I always felt like his attribute was his sort of pass progression that helped us get up the pitch. But I think he, he, he must be sort of in charge of the offside line and things like that as well. And we've noticed we've been a lot worse without him. So, yeah, I, I couldn't advocate starting a Villa player in this game. If you've got Watkins, you, you would start him. But we, we mentioned earlier, yeah. if you if you could yeah. sell him for Tony, you probably would. And I'm even yeah. debating whether to start Garnaccio in this game because I benched him last week when we said on here that we thought he could do well. I said on here, I think I was going to start him and I bottled it 10 minutes before the deadline and benched him and he scored two goals. Uh, and I feel like this could be another game where he does quite well. So he's, at the moment, he's benched again because it's probably the easiest of my attackers to bench. But I'm not happy to do that again because he could do something in this game. Okay, I, I think as as we transition to the next fixture here, I want to throw Val's comment. Uh, Ollie Watkins has not scored against Manchester United in, in 11 Premier League games. So um, do what you will with that piece of unverified um, information. Hopefully it's not fake news, Val. And... Final fixture of the of the game week: Crystal Palace hosting Chelsea. Um, you'll notice, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I, I didn't want to write about this fixture at all. I, <laughs> how much, like how much shorter it is than all the other ones. <laughs> I thought you were running out of time, Gabe. I didn't realize it was a lack of interest in the fixture. I thought you was just a bit, a bit strained for time, mate. <laughs> no, no. I gotta be honest. Like I have, I could. I mean, if if Mkunku weren't playing, I could not have less interest in this fixture. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything else to say than that. Chelsea have conceded the joint third most big chances. 
and the joint most goals um, in the last six away games. That's all I have to say about this. Well, do you have anything on this one? Thing on this one? Only I said, I obviously watched the FA Cup replay with Villa um, yesterday and they did look a lot more improved. The build-up looked a little bit more stable through the midfield. I think Enzo Fernandez played a little bit deeper and was actually more involved. I think him and Gallagher were very good um, in front of Kayasada. I think that three worked really well against Villa. And then obviously they had Palmer and Madueke, who I also thought had quite a bright game. So whether that's a turning point for Chelsea or a one-off, um, we obviously don't know. Crystal Palace took a team in free fall to me at the moment. They're the, they're the, they probably are the team to target after Sheffield United. So you're not going to be buying Chelsea players, obviously, because they blank. Well, they've got Man City next and then they blank. So Nick, over the next three game weeks, they're arguably the what, sort of bottom of what would be like a fixture ticker because the next two weeks are bad. But you've got to have high hopes for Cole Palmer. I know we haven't got no captaincy metric here, but he generally seems to be near the top of it. And he's got to be near the top of it again for this game, right? Because he's playing a team that looks so open at the moment. Um, and I'm assuming Eze and Elise won't be there again. So it's got to be a strong game for Cole Palmer, whether he plays as a 10, whether he plays off the right or whether he plays centre forward. He played sort of just off Nicholas Jackson yesterday and I think he was as involved as he always is. I don't think it really matters where he plays, right? He just tends to get himself involved in the game. So... I think a few yeah. people have been talking about selling him this week. I, I'm not keen to do that. I think next week is is different, but I, I wouldn't want to be selling him for this game. Um, it feels like it's of all of the fixtures lately where he's, he's sort of been tipped to get some returns. This one I would put near the top of the list. Watch him get no points now after I've just said that, but it feels like he, he, he should do quite well. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, any decent fixture Chelsea have, even if it is away from home, uh, and all stats aside, uh, I, I think Palmer is, is an option. I thought it was interesting against you guys in the cup. He, um, Nico Jackson played on the left, and Palmer stayed, stayed at as as the nine, but he was a little bit on the right side. It, it was not quite a two because, because you know, um, Madweka was involved as well. It, it tended to be popping. I know he obviously scored his goal from in the middle of the, the box, uh, Nicholas Jackson, but uh, he, he seemed to be quite central most of the time I saw him. I wasn't paying ultimate attention to his positioning, to be honest. It was more, I was more trying to keep an eye on a midfield battle between Gallagher and Enzo against Luis and Kamara. That was what was hmm. sort of piquing my attention the most. But um, he said, well, maybe a bit like Foden last week, that he was playing off the left, really, but at the big moments he found himself in, in the middle of the area and maybe that's a new role for Jackson that they could use him to do that Palmer with a bit more of a free role through the middle and then the more regular stri- Liverpool are obviously doing it aren't they playing a striker off the off the wing and it's working for them at the moment with Darwin so could Chelsea do that with an Nkunku or a, a Jackson maybe it could work for them as well to have naturally someone who's more at home through the middle um, attacking from the flanks instead just yeah and Kunku came on late in that game did did okay came in for for Nico Jackson there on the left hand side um okay cool interesting uh do get your questions in there we're gonna we're gonna move on to what do we have I, I think the next slide is um is the summary and uh, and we'll talk about wildcard we'll talk about uh Craig's decisions he's got some big decisions this week with two free transfers i have two free transfers as well i don't feel like my decisions are as big though because i do own liverpool players 
Um, so get your questions in. We have started a few already, um, and we'll take the questions from Discord as well. So as we move on to the summary slide here at an hour 23, um, let's see. Uh, things that, that stand out, I think Crystal Palace data against Chelsea at 2.06 NetXG stands out a little bit and, and something that I would question and certainly not buy into given that Eza and Elise will probably be absent. Um, some Fulham at 1.72 home to Bournemouth. I do kind of buy that one and I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see some creativity from the left side, even though I did mention Bobby Dick or Grover Reed has an opportunity there on the right. Um, Liverpool, obviously, highest net XG of the week, 2.27. Um, just wondering who's going to start where in that one. Luton with 2.08, the second highest net XG of, of the game week, home to Burnley. Uh, sorry, home to Sheffield United. Um, it'll be an in interesting to see if people start getting attackers from there, specifically Adebayo as a cheap enabler, enabling forward. Manchester City is obvious. Uh, Forest is an interesting one, but we're not really buying attackers from them. Spurs 2.07, and then Wolves against uh, home to Brentford 1.95 are, are the other standouts. Now, um, let's let's talk first about wildcard, and then get into maybe what some of your decisions are, Craig. Um, and we'll let's let's just talk about like overall. Just we'll give it. Let's not go more than ten minutes so we can get some of the questions in here. Um, we're at an hour twenty-five, just about. So let's start at, at the back. Goalkeepers. Um, I'll throw in mine and then, then see what you think. Um, I think I think Raya and Dubravka are, are the two best, and, and it's really purely about value. It's an easy way into, into Arsenal defense. You could even double up if we're looking at value with Raya and, and Gabriel. And then Dubravka likely to play the rest of the season, four point, four point something change, um, I think is a no-brainer. What do you think? Well, I'm glad you said that. They're my two keepers that I wildcarded a couple of weeks ago, so that, that's good that you agree with that. I, I do think there's an argument now to. I got rid of Flecken on my wild card. I'm not his biggest fan. I don't think he saves enough until we played Man City last week. I made about 10 saves. But the fact he's now got a double next week, the fact he plays 26 and he plays 29, if you if you go with Rea and Dubravka, depending on your plan for game week 29, you won't have a goalkeeper more than likely. Both of them likely to blank as things stand. So if you've got one eye on game week 29 and you're wild carding now, then. Flecken's probably that is worth having, but whether you want to pay that little bit extra for the backup goalkeeper, might be people might feel a bit uncomfortable paying four point five for a keeper they're only going to use sort of in one or two weeks. But you could justify it by the fact you'd have a keeper for twenty nine. So I, I don't disagree with with Raya and the Bradford. It's my two keepers, but I think Flecken is on the table now as well. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, back line, give us a back line, a back five. I'm, I'm going to bring the players up by by ownership. Um, and just while you give us kind of the back five off the top of your head here. So if, if we're talking about current prices, um, not because if people have already got Pedro Porro, for example, and bought him for like five million, I wouldn't advocate selling him at the minute. I'd still keep him. But if you buy, if you don't have him, I wouldn't probably put him in my wild card and pay whatever the current price is for him. It's about five point eight, isn't it, or something now? So I, I wouldn't bring him in for that price. I would have one Liverpool defender. Um, it might come down to budget. I think you probably would prefer to have Trent. But if you can't get to the team you want with your full wild card, and need to save money. I don't think it's a problem to come down to Van Dijk because I think you probably will want to sell this Liverpool defender. Um, before game week 28, 29. So a Liverpool defender will say, 
I think Doughty has to go in now with the double next week. I think Regulon probably goes in as well now with the double next week. And the fixtures are... They're the obvious three, I think. Regulon, Doughty and, and the Liverpool. Trent or Van Dijk. I think I'd probably put Branthwaite in because he's 4.1. Um, Everton keeps surprising with clean sheets. Just quite a handy sort of fifth defender that you can call upon whenever you need them. If you need a defender for game week 26, he plays against Brighton. Um, and I probably would go Gabriel for the other one just because, as you say, I think Arsenal are just probably the best defence in the league still. So when in doubt, just pick a defender. He's still offers routes to points with goals and things, doesn't he? So I'd, I'd probably go, if money if money was sort of, we are focused on budget and stuff here, I'd, I'd go Trent, Doughty, Reggion, Gabriel and uh, Randwick. Any big disagreement? Yeah, I think, no, honestly, no, no strong disagreement. I mean, we, we may differ on player like here, here and there, like, um, but, but I, I think, I think that back five makes a lot of sense. Well, what, I guess one thing I'll ask is, well, do you know who the highest owned defender is? Um, who would I guess that is it? Is it still Saliba or someone like that? Poro? Close. Saliba's thirty six percent at second. Poro's thirty three point eight percent. There's a defender that's higher, more highly owned than thirty six percent. Trippier. Yep. Yeah. 40% ownership trip <laughs> I, I couldn't do it with the way Newcastle been defending the last couple of weeks. I know he's got attacking capabilities and things, but he doesn't have a double. He's likely going to blank in 29. The clean sheets aren't offering the same promise as what they were sort of earlier in the season and the back end of last year. I don't need it. If you own him now, I don't I wouldn't be desperate to sell him necessarily, but I don't think I'd own him on a wild card. Yeah, I, I get it. That makes sense. Um Okay, cool. Let's go to uh, midfield. I'll filter this one, check out the midfielders here. Um, I think that there's a big question, and like, there's a lot of debate around the midfield. Uh, you know, Certainly Saka and Palmer are, are included uh, among that. Um, who would be your midfield selections if you're wildcarding this game week? Who do you want? Jota um, Yeah, I think he would be in. Would you have that? Well, that's the question. Would you have free Liverpool if you were wild card in this week, knowing they blanked 26 and you're probably going to have to start dealing with them at that point? Or would you have yeah, two? Yeah, maybe not. I, I think that's fair. I'd probably have two. If I were if I were wild carding this week, I'd probably have two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is where we differ because I think I'd rather have Darwin than Jota. I know you, you disagree and that's fine. So I'd probably have Darwin as one of my three strikers, which would probably mean I wouldn't have Jota in my midfield. Right. So I'd, I'd probably have Foden and De Bruyne. I'd, I'd have both of those two. Um, I'd have Garnaccio, I think, because he's cheap and he's quite helpful for 26. Um, I, I'm, I've not got no strong thoughts on the other two. I think there's plenty of options for the other two. Mm. Um, you could go to a Wolves midfielder now. I don't hate that. You'll probably want one for 26. So I, I don't see the harm in... You'd have to pick one without knowing quite the impact of Wang coming back, so it's a bit risky. But I, I wouldn't hate going for one of them now. Um, I think Saka's just do a, a nice hold for an extended period. You kind of know what you're going to get with him or Martinelli. Saka's minutes are a bit more secure and things, aren't they? I think the one thing I would say, I wouldn't have Palmer if I was wildcarding now. Hmm. It, it might be a question more you wouldn't have because I, I think this week's good, but 
I don't think you need, after this week, I don't think you really need him until that, that game week 30. And as much as he's good value for money and things, I think you can, the midfield is so, so good for upside picks. I wouldn't want to carry seven and 28 are both good. One of the best things. 28 are both good. Uh, I, I'd be quite happy not to have him until Burnley in game week 30. If I, I'm, I'm likely to sell him next week for De Bruyne. I've got enough money to do that. Um, mm. And as much as 27 and 28, yeah, you could play him and he may well do well. I, th- I think there's other midfielders. You'd probably be moving on to Tottenham midfielders around that point, for example. They might end up being just as good or better than, than Palmer. So it's one of those where if you're going to make big advantages and get big gains, I think you have to pick your battles in, in terms of taking on high ownership. Because mm-hmm. obviously it's a big risk if that high ownership player does well and you don't have him, as I found out last week with no Ollie Watkins. Um, obviously my, my rank suffered because he was quite well owned and he did really well. And you're taking that risk by not going with Palmer. But I say the fixtures, there's enough in the fixtures to me to think that he's disposable for a handful of weeks. So I, I think that the Foden, De Bruyne and probably Garnaccio are the three I'd be keen to have. The other two, no massive strong opinions on. I don't know if you'd say it could be Jota and you don't have Darwin up front. It could be um, a Wolves midfielder. And I'm sure there's a few others people might want to drop into the chat as well. There's quite a lot of options in midfield, aren't there? Yeah, and and I I think I'd prefer Jota and Adebayo to um, Darwin and Garnacho. I think that's the difference. Yeah, fine. I I, I couldn't have a strong argument against that. that, Yeah, and that's that's fair. That's just uh, two two sides to that. Um, So fair enough. And then up up front is interesting because there are are different ways you could go, right? Um, There there are some interesting ways you could go. You could go Adebayo, Tony, and Mopé. (laughs) 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 I I do think this is the first time for a long time in FPL um, where the pool of strikers is so deep. It's, it's felt very unusual for me to play mm-hmm. FPL and think you really could do some sort of striker hokey-cokey like every week. There's arguably seven or eight strikers here that all stand out. And if you've got the rest of the base of your team set up well with the goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, that your free transfer every week could be used to jump around strikers. So, for example, for, for next week, you, you might want Haaland, Darwin and Tony, for example, have all got doubles. It's quite soon after you're going to want Solanke back. It's quite soon after you're going to want Watkins back. So if you set your team up properly, mm-hmm. you could just keep jungling around this, these five or six strikers, taking one out for another one. So A goes out for B, then C goes out for D, then we sell C for A and all this sort of thing. And you're constantly rotating them. And I think it, it could be quite beneficial to do that. These strikers are obviously capable of re- returning in any game. Selling Tony for any fixture, for example, is, is dangerous. Because he, I don't think it really matters what fixture Tony's got. He's just as likely to score in my eyes. But if, you, yeah. if you're a fixture sort of manager that likes to play the fixtures, I think there, there's enough in rotating strikers in the coming game weeks that it could be quite profitable. So if you want to go with a bit more of a stable midfield, a bit of a safer midfield where you're not you're playing a bit more long term, I think it's a viable strategy to sort of use all your transfers on strikers and juggle them already. If they put Cunha in that for Wolves, they've got Sheffield United soon. I think he, he comes into this as, a, as an option. You've mentioned Adebayo as an option. You've obviously got the, the obvious five or six that most of us have already got or considering. So exciting times for strikers. I've not really known a period like this in FPL for, for quite a few seasons now where there's been quite so many options. Most seasons, it feels like it's, it's Harry Kane and two others, right? Or one other. And, <laughs> and like, it's kind of fixed. This year feels a bit different to that. 
Yeah, totally. Just to go down the list of uh, of forwards or the forward options. So you have you have Holland, which for most people is a it's a stalwart, right? Stays there. Um, Holland, Watkins, Alvarez, maybe not so much an option anymore. Solanke, Darwin, João Pedro, Cunha, Tony, Hoyland, who I think we're gonna start talking more about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, who else? Gabriel Jesus, Adebayo. Um, so yeah, there and Nkunku maybe coming into the conversation as well. well. We'll see if he can stay healthy and Chelsea can do something good like they did uh, against you guys. So, so yeah, it's it's a it's it's interesting how how people are differentiating. I'm differentiating up up front by by going João Pedro, and obviously he has um, Spurs, which I think is a good match this week. Sheffield United. Uh, then Everton, Fulham, Forest. So I'm, I'm that's my chunk of, of João Pedro exposure for for the time being. Um, all right, cool. I think we covered that. Um, let's do. Let's get straight to the questions here. Uh, we'll kind of skip our teams. We'll go to the questions. Start with uh, Discord. Do get your questions in. Uh, go to the two faces here. Um, we already answered the one on wildcard. We just did that. This one's from Thingamabob. Um, if you're looking to bet completely against the field with no Holland, how do you do it? Pray that Salah is fit bo- uh, for both game week 25 games. Rely on leaks that De Bruyne starts um, starts the games big at the back with Trippier and company. How would you uh, differentiate from going Holland? We just said, right, there's about 10 strikers that all kind of make sense at the moment week to week. So I, I think if there is a time to go without him, I think this is a viable time. It's it's very risky with this double, right? It's going to be a lot of triple captains being thrown around next week as well. Do you want to take that on? Um, he's going to be a popular captain. He's going to be the most popular captain for the, probably the next two game weeks. And in one of them, he's going to be triple captain by a, a substantial amount of managers as well. So I think it's very risky. I think you just have to pick an angle that you're happy with. So maybe you go with a wild card with triple Liverpool defence, for example. I'm not, I'm not advocating doing that, but if they keep two clean, three clean sheets in the next two game weeks, you're going to more than cover Haaland's points if you've got Trent Robertson and Van Dijk or something and they keep a load of clean sheets. Or you pick, pick another sort of block of something. You might pick triple Liverpool attack and hope that covers Haaland. Maybe it's Jota, Darwin and Luis Diaz or something and you hope that that does really well. So... I wouldn't do it personally, but I think you have to take a big stand on something else if you're going to go against Haaland. So go block on probably a defence would be my argument. Go triple something, triple Arsenal defence, and hope that works out for you or something. Because you need don't do it. I've done that. Big to catch. No good. Pain. You, you, Pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried I'm taking on Saka with triple Arsenal defence. Didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it personally, no, Harlan. I think it's just, just the, the the damage it could cause is just so big. If it, if he gets three, four goals in a double game week and everyone's triple captained him, and you don't have him at all, that 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 rank drop is not worth taking on in my eyes. But yeah, I yeah, I I think I agree. But to to, to answer the question, that there's not without Salah. And and with Son not having blanks, you could go maybe early on Son or something like that, right? And that differentiate that way. But without with the the fixtures and the the number of fixtures and the ownership, I, I just it's not the right time to go without Holland. 
when Salah comes back, then then you can maybe there's a decision to make on that front. Let's uh let's go on to these questions. Now we're 38, kind of let's do them kind of quick fire here to get out in the maybe the next 10 minutes. Uh Blue Danube Joe. Uh good evening. Is there any importance in a player or team's record against another team when it comes to FPL? Um to me, it's more managers. I'm not a big fan of oh, this team have beat this team the last five times when Team B's had three different managers in that time because the managers have different tactics and different styles, and that impacts how the game flows and how the matchup is. If you're looking at something more like Liverpool v Brentford right now, Klopp and Frank have played each other like three, four seasons in a row now. So I think you can take an element of what's happened before into account for something like that. But when you're looking at it's more the managers rather than the fact it's been team A keep beating team B. It's yeah, that's more important to me. Agreed. Clint says, uh, midfield of Gordon, KDB, Palmer, Saka, Foden currently. Saka to Jota for a minus four, attacking the next two and double game week. Zero free transfers and only 0.2 million in the bank. Plan is to have two free transfers in 26 to take out Jota later. So Saka, uh, Jota in for a minus four for the next two and then out. Yeah, so it's going to cost you two transfers to get him in and out and four points. Is his upside that much in the next two game weeks to justify that? Um, I would say no. You may have a different take, but I don't think it's worth four points and blocking in two transfers. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you there. Uh, I have to bite the bullet on that one and go without Jota, Clint. Calm says, is it better to take a minus four this game week if it lets you have two free transfers before game week 26? Team dependent, right? I think that's quite a hard question to answer. As a, it's not yeah, one it, size. It, I don't think is it for this one. No, we 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 need more context. Like if you're bringing Jota in for a minus four, and then part of your two free transfers is getting Jota, getting rid of Jota in twenty six, and we just answered that no. So so we need more transfer there, come uh, more uh, more context there, come. Uh, tricky MF. What about Allison as a cheaper route to minutes if you're set up well or have other plans elsewhere? Uh, this, uh, this one's an interesting one because it does free up a defender spot if you want to go in a, in a different direction and maybe save some money from the likes of Trent. What do you think? Yeah, I don't hate it. Definitely on a wild card, I would think about it. I think it's viable on a wild card to go with him. Um, I agree that, that there's not many players that I'd be confident play sort of over 200 minutes for Liverpool across the next two game weeks. He's going to be top of the list, isn't he, for minutes? And... So if, if that's your main concern, so I'm, I'm edging my bets a little bit with, with Van Dijk as, as in terms of outfield players playing the most minutes. But in terms of the whole squad, you think Allison's going to be first. So, yeah, unusual to make a goalkeeper transfer, though, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next one, Panenka Productions. Gross, Esto, or Gusto for first sub? Oh, dear. You gotta bench one of those three. Um, they're they're all benched. Are they? You got bench boost if you've got those three on the bench, haven't you? <laughs> That's an insane bench this week to, to be going with. They're subs. Yeah. Yeah, you could bench boost this week. Maybe it looks better next week. Um, I'm just gonna take a stab because it's a sub question. So put a stupid young first sub. Uh, Stewie Bryan, Saka, a potential sell for KDB. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if that's what needs, if that's what's needed. Yeah, I think it's. 
I'm, I'm going to try and use Palmer or Richarlison as mine because I think they're better sales than Saka, but I don't hate mm-hmm. Saka depending on the setup of your team. Cool. Um, where am I here? Ignatius Bryant says, play Saliba or Udogi? Saliba. Saliba. Agreed. Um, Clint, what do you think of Saka as an FPL asset in general moving forward? Um, I think he's fine to keep, but I also think he's disposable. So again, depends on what your priorities are and who else you've got. Um, the fact he now blanks 29 most likely is more of a reason to tell him than this time yesterday. But you kind of know what you're getting from him. Safe minutes in a good team, right? It's quite hard to give that up sometimes. But I think that if you're looking for five midfielders with more upside, they probably are uh, five at the moment. So I, I, I don't hate the idea of selling him. I thought about it for a while, um, but I'm not going to now. Right on. Uh, Nehal. Thoughts on Watkins and Estupinian to Tony and Dowdy for a minus four. You're going to get the four points back just in appearances next game week, can't you? Um, it's four fixtures for two, isn't it, next week? So that's the four yeah. points back. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's fair. Do you have to do them both this week or could you do one? You, say Watkins to Tony, in theory, could wait. You could just do Estupinian to Dowdy this week and then do Watkins to Tony for free next week might be an option but in terms of two for two then yeah seems seems fair enough yeah yeah k7 what's a good gordon replacement beside jota depends who you've got and how much money you've got right if you need if you need if you need to go down in price it's probably probably netto from wolves isn't it um, yeah, it could be. It, it depends what you're doing as well. It depends how many city players you have. It depends what you're planning for. It depends what your st- chip strategy is. So, there, uh, we'll, yeah. need, we'll need more on about that K7. But, um, but yeah, Wolves players, good shout. Wolves. Um, oh, I already did this one. And last one Game Week 24 captain. There was no captain C metric this time around. So, we need to do a gaming twenty-four uh, captaincy discussion really quick here in five minutes. Um, I, uh, who are you currently on? I'm currently on Harland by default, but so I said earlier, I'm not convinced he's plays loads of minutes. I am worried about him it being a physical game where he could re-injure himself. And did I see enough of him last week when he started to make me feel like he's really sort of back on the road to big halls again? I thought he did enough in the game, but it wasn't like he was massively involved, right? He, he didn't sort of get you really confident that he was back to be scoring hat-tricks. I, say, I wasn't worried about his performance. He didn't play badly as such, but most of the chances didn't fall to him right in that game. It was Alvarez mainly in the first half that everything was falling to and, and, and things like that. So... It was a back three, so so there are yeah. mitigating circumstances there. Um, but I think your your points are good on like how he's not dominating. He's not dominating opposing defenders, and he's going to be up against a physical defenders that he's not dominating. So there is there are question marks there for sure. I'm not on Holland. You kept in Liverpool. You kept in Jota. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't put someone off doing that. Um. The, the 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 data we've seen so far at Liverpool with the highest 
capability of goals, right? So if you've got a Liverpool, mm-hmm. I, I don't even hate the idea of captaining Darwin if you own him this week. I, I could I could see the appeal of captaining a Liverpool player for definite, even Trent or something. I, I yeah. wouldn't put someone off captaining a Liverpool player for this game. I, I probably will captain Harlan. I've not got enough faith in my other players, whether it's Foden, whether it's uh, Palmer. I think those are particular two have got good possibilities of points this week, but not to the point where I'm massively confident they outscore uh, Haaland, but one of the Liverpool attackers, I could definitely get behind that. It's just unlikely at the moment I'm going to own one. Yeah, I'm just going through the chat here. Let's see if... um, um... Those in the chat, tell us who you're captaining. Yeah, there is no there is no captaincy metric this week. Uh, Mariner is a little bit out of commission, so um, there's some shouts. It's between Jota and Darwin for me, says Nehal. Um, Val, whoops, welcome to the end game. <laughs> that was the wrong one. Um, Val says, Val's on Jota. Jota Darwin for Nehal. Don't hate Palmer cap. Um, oh, no gay. Is that right? Who's going to play on the, yeah, he on went, the left? He went, off the first half. he went off in the first half injured last week. Oh, I see. I haven't, had, I haven't seen an update about current sort of current state of his fitness, but he definitely went off in the, in the first half. That could be a good opportunity for Palmer then already in a good matchup, but but he's away then. And, and there are good teams with good fixtures at home. So that's what kind of, that's where I would lean um, for, for the home guys. And now Ron Cupboard comes in. He says, easy Holland for, for him. Thing with Bob, Ross Barkley all the way. Going going for Brooke with, with the Ross Barkley. And Colm is uh, Jota or Trent. All of them good options. Um, I like the Liverpool options myself. I think that they have the biggest upside. I can see. I think it's easier for, for things to get tricky for City than it is for, for Liverpool. So, um, so. I think I've, I've mentioned, obviously, on here tonight that I'm a bit hesitant about bringing Liverpool attacker in because it's a transfer in now and a transfer out. So two transfers quite close together. Someone was asking earlier about doing it for a hit. The only way I, I think I could justify any of that in my own head is if I was going to captain Liverpool player to the, this game week. If if, yeah. if he was going to bring Darwin in even for a hit this week and captain him, I think that obviously tilts it a bit more in favour of doing it. Um, so that's something for me to consider. I've got two free transfers. So I'm, go- I'm going to get Van Dijk, I think, in with one of them. Um, I could use the second one on turning Solanke into Darwin for the next couple of weeks and then reverse it before game week 28. And if I can be convinced that Darwin's the best captain over Haaland, then I may go through and do it. Interesting. I'll be curious to see if, you, if you're going to take on Liverpool against Burnley. That, that'll be scary. Nima's coming in saying he's on Holland as well. Uh, not surprised there, but he... Holland will be a popular shout. I'm I'm sure he'll creep back up over 100%. Um, Nehal Nehal said something, but uh, but I'm afraid we've run out of time. Nehal, I'm not going to display that message. Um, won't display anything that starts with Darwin was gold. Uh, sorry, buddy. So um, thank you all for joining us. This has been the Net That Hall Game Week 24 matchup show. I have been joined by Man on Pod Craig. Craig, thank you, man. No problem. Anytime, mate. <laughs> and uh, very enjoyable. Let us know. The, um, yeah, in the Discord, if you guys are in the Discord, let us know what you're doing. Let's have, let's have a little chat in there. I might be around tomorrow if, somebody, if someone wants to hit the Hangout in the Discord. If not, see you on X. See you wherever. 
Um, Nehal's, Nehal's <laughs> trying to get his his comments in there. I'm sorry, Nehal, but we're just we're just out of time. We're just gonna have to go. Thank you. Thanks for participating, though. Love you. Peace.